0: Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith
1: Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn with me to that passage in Ephesians chapter 3. We are going to read it, we're going to reread it, and then we're going to read it again because I am convinced that Paul's prayer for us in the middle of this incredible, encouraging letter will transform our life. If you're using one of our Bibles we have, it's on page 1080. Take a moment, find Ephesians chapter 3, because the heart of Paul's letter for the church that we started unpacking last week is that the church would experience more of God. Now, we're going to break it down over the course of the next three weeks, and we're going to see how that Paul says we can experience more of God on a weekend and week out on a daily basis. But the heart of the letter is that we can experience more of God. Over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to break this prayer down into three specific prayers, because the Apostle Paul prays three specific things. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following The Apostle Paul, if you're joining us for the first time, he stops in the middle of this incredible epistle, this letter to the church where he's talked about the goodness and the grace of God on display for us through Jesus Christ. Before he gets into how it practically plays out in our life, he just stops in the middle of what he's saying and he starts to pray. Now, if you brought your Bible, you can circle. And if you're using one of our Bibles, feel free to go ahead and circle as well. Every time the Apostle Paul says that you, it's a specific prayer for us. So Paul prays three things. He prays that you might be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's a specific prayer. He prays that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend the love of Jesus, that you may comprehend and know and experience the love of Jesus. And then he prays that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And the reason we're spending so much time dedicated to this prayer over the course of this month is because whether we realize it or not, these are Paul's prayers for you. And these are Paul's prayers for me. Even in, his le- and even in his letter, he says throughout all generations forever and ever, amen, we are one of those generations. And so the Apostle Paul prays for you and for me three specific prayers. One of my favorite books on prayer is Circle Maker by pastor and author Mark Batterson, and he talks about the importance of praying specific prayers. Mark Batterson writes this, he says, the more faith you have, the more specific your prayers will be. And the more specific your prayers are, the more glory God receives. Our nuanced prayers give God an opportunity to reveal more shades of his sovereignty. If our prayers aren't specific, however, God gets robbed of the glory that he deserves because we second guess whether or not he actually answered them. We never know if the answers were a result of specific prayer or general coincidences that would have happened anyway. This isn't really the point of the sermon, but I think there's a good application there. When you pray, do you pray specific prayers? Like when you pray, do you pray so specifically you can look back at your life and see whether or not God answered your prayers the way you hoped to? When he answered your prayers, you can thank him for your goodness. And if he didn't answer the prayers you prayed the way you hoped he would answer those prayers, you can stop and see what is God doing? What does God see that I don't see? Paul had tremendous faith and he prayed specific prayers. These weren't just random ideas that were thrown together that came to mind. He had faith that God would answer these three prayers in the church, in all generations, and that we would be the beneficiaries of it. So what does it look like in our lives when God answers these prayers? That's what we're going to talk about in the course of the next few weeks. Today we're going to look at just one verse to get started. We're going to look at a ton of verses, so make sure you have your Bible. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 is our key verse for today. And I want you to just read one more time what the Apostle Paul prays. He says that according to the riches of his glory. Last week we said when we pray, we appeal to the glory of God, for the glory of God. That God is rich with glory. That nothing is beyond his capability. According to the riches of that glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit... In your inner being. Paul prays that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now that seems kind of simple, that God would strengthen you. Or maybe, like, as I was reading, I thought, like, well, maybe this is one of those prayers that as we're reading the book of Ephesians, like, we just kind of skipped over it because it almost seems ceremonial. Like, Paul's praying, and do you ever grow up, I grew up with a grandfather who was Presbyterian, and he prayed in King James language. Did you ever, like, I thought God spoke King James, because that's all he, like, when he would pray, I didn't know half of the things he prayed. It sounded so eloquent. I thought, I'm never going to know God like granddaddy knows God, because I don't know half the words that he's saying to God. And if that's, like, I just had no idea, but his prayers just sounded so ceremonial, and every time we sat down to dinner, I looked forward to him to pray, but he prayed the same thing over and over and over and over again. And I kind of I, I love it and loved his heart for prayer, but I wonder if sometimes we look at prayers in the Bible like this, like maybe it's just ceremonial. Like, is God actually going to do anything if we pray for strength? Like we say, God, please give us strength and power through your Holy Spirit. Does that mean anything? Well, here's the thing. It means everything. It means everything. It's the difference. In the, it changes the way we live life, it changes the way we follow God. And here, I want to share a quick story about that same grandfather before we move on. Many years ago, when I was just a young guy, fourth or fifth grade probably, I got my very first job opportunity. It was to mow my grandfather's yard. And I remember I, being, I was so excited because I had zero ability to make money before unless my grandparents just gave it to me. And I guess, like, I don't know if my grandfather really needed me to mow his yard, but he invited me. He said, hey, Adam, you want to start mowing my yard every week? And I thought, I thought, sure. Like, I'd love to mow your yard every week. It's not a very big yard, and I've never mowed a yard before. But, like, they pay grandparent pay, and that's way better than the uh, national, what is it, the uh, the minimum wage, right? Like they're generous. My grandmother would stop me in the middle of mowing the yard. She would provide lunch. She'd give me a wet washcloth the wipe my... I was like, I looked forward to mowing the yard. I, I loved it. And I remember I went over there the very first time. I couldn't even obviously drive. I was a fourth or fifth grader. So they they spent their money and their time and their gas. They came and picked me up, brought me to their house. My grandfather had everything laid out for me. He said, hey, do you know how to use the lawnmower? I said, well, I'm not going to say no. I grew up with a riding lawnmower never used a push mower before, but I, I just got a job. Like, I lied to my employer, my grandfather. I was like, yeah, sure. I know how to use it. Just remind me how to start it. And he's like, all right. So here's you do. You push the handle down, you pull the cord, you start. It's like, oh, I can't handle that. Push the handle down, I pull the cord. He, he goes inside because for the first time in 50 years, he doesn't have to mow his own yard. And like, I start pushing that lawn mower. I was like, "This is great! Like, make one pass." They had this luscious St. Augustine front yard. It was deep. It took me about one and a half passes before I realized, "Man, this is really hard!" Like, I hope that grandparent pay is like takes into account how difficult this is. And like, the mower would sink down in the grass, and I was like pushing with all of my fourth or fifth grade might, and I turn it around, I push it all the way back, and I mowed half the yard. Thought. This is gonna take me forever. I might die in my grandparents' backyard, like if I even make it to the backyard. Shortly after my grandfather came out, I said, Adam, you're, you're doing okay. He's like, Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm, I do them again. I'm doing great. He's like, Why aren't you using the other handles? I said, Well, what does that do? It's the power drive. It's like, no one told me the wheels would go by themselves. I pull it down, and I went from, in an instant, from sweating and striving, discouraged doubting my fourth grade strength, ready to quit to barely being able to keep up because that mower was made for adults and as soon as those front wheels started spinning on their own like I was I was done in no time I was ready to collect that grandparent pay. And I tell you that story because I think as as silly as that sounds, spiritually speaking, a lot of times that's exactly how we treat the Holy Spirit. Like we come to church because we know it's good for us. There's something in our mind that says God is generous. If your grandparents are generous, he is more generous. If we show up, he will do good for us. He'll do good in our life. And and, and someone says, hey, do you want to start following God? And we're definitely not going to say, what does that mean? And so we just lie like, yeah, sure. I follow God all the time. And we just start following God. And then we just sit in church every Sunday and they start talking about things that we've never heard about. And they start saying God should change your life. And so we strive And before we know it, we're sweating and we're discouraged and we feel defeated. It feels like we're pushing a mower with all of our strength and it's just sinking down in front of us. And as soon as we realize, as soon as we realize that we can follow God with the power of the Holy Spirit, I can tell you from personal experience, it's this switch that takes place almost in an instant where we go from sweating and striving and being discouraged and full of doubts. Can I make it another day following Jesus? Can I go another lap? I can barely keep up because God is just leading me, and he is good, and he is gracious, and he is at work to empower us. That's what the Apostle Paul prays for when he says that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That the church that had given their life to Jesus, they had accepted the gospel for by grace you have been saved through faith was the mantra of the church in Ephesus. They would go from striving to follow Jesus in their own power to experiencing the joy and the exhilaration of following Jesus through the power of His Holy Spirit. If I'm honest, I'm still learning so much about who the Holy Spirit is and how He works in my life, both intellectually as I study and experientially as day by day I try to keep in closer step with Him. But everything I learn, I'm excited to share with you because the Holy Spirit in in His nature is exciting. Like all through the Bible we see the Holy Spirit work. Sometimes if you spend a lot of time in church, you think the Holy Spirit is just a New Testament thing. It's just a modern day thing. And, but the, the Holy Spirit shows up in the very first verses of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you are familiar with these verses, it says, In the beginning. So like the very beginning of recorded human history. There were no humans, actually, just the recorded history. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out without, without form. It was void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And what? It says, In the Spirit... Of God, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the water. The Holy Spirit was uh, alive and active in creation. He was part. He is. He is a part of the Triune God. He is just as much of God as just as much God as God in Jesus. And then, when uh, the seven days of creation, uh, the sixth day of creation, when God was ready to create man, in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it says, "Then the Lord God he formed the man from the dust of the ground." And then it says, it says this, and it, we miss this in the English translation, but it says, and he breathed into his nostrils. So it's this idea, literally, breathed into his nostrils. It's almost like giving CPR. He takes the, the lifeless form of a man that he just formed out of the earth. He holds him face to face, in the creator of the universe, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The word in the Hebrew language is the ruach of life. It is the word for breath or wind or spirit. It is that God's spirit was breathing life into our spirit. And in that moment, man created in the image of God was empowered by the spirit of God and the spirit of man to live in harmony and perfect fellowship with the spirit of God. It says, and the man became a living creature. He was lifeless before God's spirit, breathed into his nostrils, the ruach, the spirit of of life. And then all throughout history, the psalmist understood that the Holy Spirit both gives life and sustains life. It says, when you send forth your spirit, the psalmist says, they are created and you renew the face of the ground, that God's spirit gives life and sustains life. And then what I really love this week is I was thinking through and praying through and studying through the Holy Spirit. I was looking back to the Old Testament because I know God is never changing, right? He is constant. All the times and this just is, I'm going to just share a few of them, all the times that the Holy Spirit is poured out on, and think about that, on our favorite Old Testament heroes. For example, Joshua. Joshua was one of my favorite. We've already spent a... Significant part of our church life, studying the book of Joshua. Joshua is one of my favorite church leaders because Moses, this great leader of the faith, passes off the baton of leadership for God's people to Joshua. And he says that Moses is about to die. And he says, Joshua, you have to now lead the people of God into the promises that he has prepared for them. There's enemies and there's obstacles every step of the way, but God's spirit is with you. He will be on you, he will go with you. And Joshua just led a conquest unlike anything else in human history, he led the people of God through the Jordan River, into the promised land, one nation after another, he drove them out so that he could settle into the promises of God. Why was God Joshua able to do that? Because God's spirit was on Joshua. And then some of the more obscure characters, like the judge Othniel in the book of Judges. It just says, Othniel, uh, the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He was wise because God's spirit rested on him. But he was also powerful. He led the rebellion, the the Israelite rebellion, uh, against the people living in in their land, worshiping other gods. And it says, and he prevailed against them. He was able to prevail because the power of the Spirit of God rested upon him. Another one of those judges, Gideon. Uh, was clothed with the Spirit of God and he took this massive army and God dwindled his army down to just 300 able-bodied men and he sent them against the nation of Midian and Gideon was able to drive them out, not because of the power of the people with him, but because of the power of the Spirit of God that rested upon him. Israel's kings were empowered. The Holy Spirit uh, rested on them. King Saul, the Spirit came on him as soon as he was called, and he surprised everybody because he started prophesying. They thought Saul was big and he was strong, but now he's prophesying like one of the prophets of God. They said it must be the Spirit of God. And then I think my favorite story in all the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is poured out is the story of Samson. I won't spend a lot of time on it because we just studied it a few weeks ago. But I love in Judges chapter 14, Samson, we're just being introduced to Samson. He's he's going to be this great judge of Israel. And it says, Then Samson went down with his father and his mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. So he's on vacation with his parents. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. Now we read that in our leather-bound Bibles like it's a fairy tale. But this was their real life. He's on vacation with his parents. I don't know. Maybe they're elderly. But nonetheless, it was Samson's responsibility to protect them. And a lion came roaring for Like, I've never seen a lion. Actually, I have at Disney. They're always asleep. But I assume in the wild, you would be a prey item. This lion just leaps out at them. And it goes on. It says this. Then the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. We studied this months ago. I still don't know what that means, but he just tears the lion apart. And then he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. I don't know if they were cowering in fear. They missed the whole encounter. But the Spirit of God rushed on Samson and gave him supernatural strength to tear a lion with his bare hands as one tears a young goat. But it doesn't stop there because the Spirit continued to give Samson courage. Look what happens next. It says, then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. The Holy Spirit gave Samson courage to tear a land apart and to talk to women, right? So, like, if you're a guy, you remember how much courage it took to work up enough courage to ask the pretty girl out on a date for the very first time. I did it a few times. My wife still doesn't remember. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson for some incredible things. That is the Spirit, the same Spirit that the Apostle Paul is appealing to in this prayer, That you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The same spirit that was creating the universe from nothing. The same spirit that breathed life into man. The same spirit that led Joshua so that he could lead the people that God had entrusted him to lead. The same spirit that came came upon some obscure judge named Othniel so he could go down in history as a conqueror for God's people. The same spirit that that gave King Saul the ability to prophesy the words of God. The same spirit that gave Samson the ability to, to tear a wild beast apart and talk to a girl. The same spirit that accomplished all of these great things in the Old Testament is the same spirit that the Apostle Paul prays God would empower his church, would use to empower his church. And so we're going to spend just the next few minutes and we're going to ask the question, what does it look like when God's spirit is poured out on and in the lives of people following Jesus. Now we could spend, I got bogged down in the details this week, which is what I love, but I had about 75 pages of notes. and I thought there's no way they're going to sit with us for six days to hear this. So let's look at one passage. If you've got your Bible, flip with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, because in this passage, it may be the most clear and concise passage in all of Scripture where we see who the Holy Spirit is, and what the Holy Spirit is able to accomplish in the life of a believer through the words in the lens of Jesus himself. Because the context in John chapter 14, this is the night Jesus is betrayed. He's just had the Lord's Supper with his disciples. We just celebrated communion. He's just celebrated communion. He's gathered his disciples together, and he's has giving them instructions. And he says, I've spent three years telling you that the time was coming when I would be taken uh, away from you. I'd be arrested. I'd be crucified on a cross. And the disciples, it's like... We don't have time to go back. It's like they're hearing it for the first time. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? He's like, I sp-, and Jesus just had to be like, I spent three years telling you about this. He says, but don't be discouraged, which seems like one of the most counterintuitive things that Jesus could have said in all of scripture. He says, I'm about to be arrested. What did you do wrong? I did nothing wrong. I'm going to be be arrested. I'm going to be tried. Okay, but you're innocent. So you'll be like, oh, I'm going to be tried on trumped up charges. And it's going to be a sham of a trial. And they're going to haul me off. And before the sun rises, I'm going to be crucified on a cross. I'm going to be buried in a tomb before the Sabbath celebration starts. And then he says, do not be discouraged. And the disciples are reeling. In the first part of John chapter 14, they're trying to wrap their mind around it. And then Jesus doesn't miss a beat. He just continues teaching. He says this. He says, if you love me. He said, I'm bringing the disciples back in. Let's stop worrying about all the things. I've told you it'll be okay. Remember, I created the universe. I breathed the Ruach of life into you. I'm sovereign over all of life circumstances. If you love me, let's focus on what matters most. You will keep my commandments. You will be obedient to the things I say you should do. And I will ask the Father, I will ask God, and he will give you another, a capital H Helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, if you have your Bible, circle the word in. It's obviously a small word, but it's, 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 it's pivotal and powerful in significance. Because for all of history to this point, the Holy Spirit, God graciously had been pouring out his spirit on people. He would rush upon Samson. But then Samson would sin and the Holy Spirit would withdraw because the Holy Spirit cannot coexist with sin. And through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit would have a holy place to come and rest with his people. And from this point forward, the Holy Spirit, well, in short order, from Pentecost, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit would be poured out into the life of believers. And there's a huge difference, a significant difference in the Holy Spirit coming upon you and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. When Jesus is talking to us disciples, he says, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that you've read about, that was there at creation, that carried the, the, the patriarchs of the faith through with faithfulness and consistency, that Holy Spirit, he's not, no longer going to come and go. He is going to make his home with you, and he's going to dwell in you. And he's going to be a helper. What's he going to help you do? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you've been trying to walk with Jesus for more than just a few seconds, you know that it is impossible to follow Jesus on your own strength. Have you ever tried to follow Jesus on your own strength? You do that. I've done that. I come to church every Sunday. It feels like I'm getting scolded, right? Like the preacher stands up and he says, well, Now I'm pretty sure the preacher's going to say most time before he stands up here. But, But for my whole life, I'd show up at church and he'd say this, he'd say that. I was like, I can't, I didn't finish what you told me to do last week. I didn't get rid of that sin. And now you're giving me a new sin. And it was just so discouraging. But here's the thing. We were never called to follow Jesus on our own. We were called to follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, I love you, God, then you'll keep my commandments. Okay, I'll try to be obedient, but I will ask the Father and he will send you a helper. The Holy Spirit, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is going to come into the life of a believer and he is going to empower the believer to live an obedient life so that we don't have to strive and suffer and, and, and fail and be discouraged. But the Holy Spirit is going to come inside of us and help us. We don't have time, in Galatians chapter 5, there's a list of the fruit of the Spirit. And in Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia, and he says there's all these things that are evident in everyone's life, the things that everyone runs after, the pride and sexual immorality and wrath and jealousy and greed and everything that's just so familiar to us. But the works of the Spirit, they're completely different. It's things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law. But he says, we, we read right over that like it's a list of chores we're supposed to, supposed to accomplish, What he says is that's the fruit of the Spirit. When you cultivate a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, spending time in prayer, spending time in the Bible, spending time listening to what he has to say, he begins producing fruit through your life. You begin cultivating his presence in your life, and he begins sanctifying your life, shaping you to be more like the character that Christ demonstrated while he lived here. I think there's this temptation that we look at salvation and we're quick to admit that we are saved by grace because when we're confronted with our sin, we realize there is nothing I can do to save myself. So we are saved by grace, but we feel like we have to be sanctified by grit. The truth is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us to draw us near to God to make us look more like God. And so the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. He helps us become obedient to God, sanctifying us, shaping us to the image of his son. Verse 26, it says, "He will the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. In fact, if you fast forward to verse 26, it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. And, and what Jesus is saying to his disciples who spent three years traveling with him, listening to him teach, so he's like, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to recall and remember the things that I have said. And then you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to guide you into truth, to understand what is true. If, you've, if you spend time, I've told you this a thousand times, when I sit down to pray every morning, I start with prayer. So Jesus, please speak to me through your word. And then I open the Bible and I start reading. And at the end, I say, Lord, help me to understand the things that you would have me say. Help me remember and recall the things that you would bring to the front of my mind, how you would change my life and direct my life. We can't even read the scripture with understanding. I mean, I have a degree in this book for what that's worth. That cup of coffee will get you a cup of coffee. But nonetheless, I have a degree in this book. And I can't understand it most of the time. But the Holy Spirit brings it to life. And it goes from a textbook or a history book, and it, goes to a, it transforms it into a living and enduring word of God to speak to my soul. So when, uh, heaven forbid, Carissa and I ever have conflict, he brings scriptures to mind. The Holy Spirit directs me so often from what he taught me that morning. Or as I'm going out to uh, the workday, working at a coffee shop, and meeting with people, the Holy Spirit will just bring to mind things that he has said so that I might serve him. Then he goes on in verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. What the Holy Spirit is saying is that, what God is saying is the Holy Spirit brings us peace. Not as the world gives. I've had the privilege and the responsibility of sharing life with you and hearing your turmoil, losing loved ones and losing jobs and struggling to have a family and so many things. And it's just like, you can't make sense of it. And we can't make sense of it. That's true. The world certainly can't make sense of it, but the Holy Spirit gives us peace because his presence reminds us that God is up to something greater than we can wrap our mind around. It doesn't simplify it, but it sanctifies it. And it shifts our focus from the physical circumstances of our life to the spiritual reality that God is working around us, that he has redeemed us, he has drawn us near, that he has given us his Holy Spirit as a sign and seal of our salvation. So no matter what we experience in this life, we know that with certainty that our salvation is secure in Christ. Jesus goes on, and we're just skipping through verse 26, John chapter 15, actually, verse 26. He says, But when the Helper comes, I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness about me. You have been with me from the beginning. I love this because he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit dwells inside you, he's going to bear witness about Jesus. He's going to help you understand Jesus even better. For me, I'm grateful for that. For these disciples, they had to be thinking, I just spent three years with you. Like, I watched you eat. I know where you sleep. I heard you snore, Jesus. How is the Holy Spirit going to bear witness about you? But the truth is, the Holy Spirit is constantly giving us a greater understanding of who God is. The fact that he dwells in us makes God more and more clear. And then he helps us bear witness about Jesus. We always say that we don't talk to someone about Jesus until you've talked to Jesus about someone, right? Because we cannot even make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Like that is your instruction as a follower of me. And then he says, surely I am with you always through my Holy Spirit to the very end of the age. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to live the life that God has called us to live. And then finally, the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, convicts us. Verse 7 of chapter 16, this long time with his disciples, Jesus goes on, he says, "'Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, "'it is to your advantage that I go away. "'For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, "'but if I go, I will send him to you. "'And when he comes, he will convict the world "'concerning sin and righteousness and judgment.'" Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is being judged." And what, the Holy, what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is when he comes, he's going to convict us. He's going to bring to light the things that are separating us from God to sin. And you think, well, oh, that doesn't sound very comfortable. Well, it's not very comfortable. It's incredibly uncomfortable. But the truth is, when we're convicted of sin, we're compelled to our Savior. Be like if you went to the doctor. Like if, if you were going about your everyday life and all of a sudden something started hurting. And it was hurting really, really bad. And then you went to the doctor and you found out your, I don't know, appendix was bursting. Like, like, man, that pain was really uncomfortable. But if you hadn't experienced pain, like, there are people who can't experience pain, right? They have their own ailment. Like, they don't know that something is wrong. And if you don't know that something is wrong, you don't go to the person that can solve the problem. If you don't go to the person that solved the problem, you'll die. So it is with the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of sin. You're out talking with friends, and you just start talking about someone else. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, man, that's, that doesn't feel right. Calls to mind. This is gossip or... You know, you're out on the weekend and you're, you're having a drink and t- two drinks and three drinks and all of a sudden you realize you're drunk. Like, this doesn't feel right. I'm out of control. And the Holy Spirit says, do not be filled with wine because you cannot be filled with wine and the Holy Spirit at the same time. They're at odds with one another. And all of a sudden, these things that seem so simple to the world, the Holy Spirit, the closer we walk with him, begins to convict us. He begins to draw us in and in doing so, cuts away the sin from our life so we can have a closer relationship with our Savior, through the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we have confidence. I've told you from, I told you last week as we started this series, my prayer for this series as we study the prayer of Paul is that we would hear his prayer and that we would pray for a greater understanding and affection for Jesus. Because that was Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer prayer was that we would know God more. And the more we know God, the more we would love God. The more we love God, the more we would follow God. The more we follow God, the more people would, God would flow from us. And so other people would be invited to follow him. And the more we follow God and, and, and God flows from us, the more we experience the fullness of life. You can't truly experience life unless you do life with Jesus. I want to end with these verses from the book of Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of this topic. He says, you, however, meaning the church, are not in the flesh but in the spirit the Spirit. The same Spirit that breathed, that created the world, that breathed life into Adam and Eve, the same Spirit that carried kings and judges through the Old Testament, the same Spirit that was there with Jesus at his baptism, the same Spirit that launched the church with the disciples, the same Spirit that raised Jesus to life lives in those who follow Jesus. So the question I ask and the convicting takeaway I had this week is, man, am I cultivating a relationship with the Spirit? Because I believe, for by grace I have been saved. For I believe it is the church's purpose to make known the manifold wisdom of God. I know the work of God and I know the mission of God, but am I doing it in the power of God? Because there are days that I wake up and Jesus, Holy Spirit, His presence in my life is not the forefront of my mind. Now it's getting better, but it's getting better because I'm intentionally spending time with Him, cultivating a relationship with God. And I promise, it's like doing life by your own strength, sinking down, getting discouraged. And all of a sudden, the moment you tap into the Holy Spirit's presence and power in your life, it's like you can't keep up. And good is always ahead. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace. What a privilege it is this week and every week to gather together as your people to sit together under the authority of your word. Father, it was a privilege this week to unpack through scripture, the person, the work, and the power of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, I'm no fool. I know that if your Holy Spirit doesn't empower these words, nothing changes. So Father, I pray for a fresh conviction for myself and for those who call Eastside home. I pray pray that your Holy Spirit would stir within us the areas and bring to light conviction, the areas of our life that we're trying to do under our own strength, whether that's relationships, marriage, finance, even the work of God, discipleship and evangelism and set up and tear down and serving the church in generosity. Lord, show us areas that we are trying to serve you under our own strength. Convict us. Make it uncomfortable. And then compel us evermore into your presence so that we might experience the joy of doing life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we appeal to the abundant riches of your glory that you may strengthen us with power in your Holy Spirit in our inner being.